Good morning. How are you doing today? Everybody good? Beautiful day out there, isn't it? Uh, things have been pretty crazy in our house because uh, we're heading away for a few days and traditionally we are relatively last minute packers, but I'd say 2am probably takes the biscuit. Um, anyway, we're here today and you know when you can see the finish line. Well, I'm not focusing on the finish line because I'm really excited about what God has laid on my heart to share with you this morning. Um, and so I want to begin by getting you involved. We're just going to do a very simple game of preferences today, but it is going to involve, if you're able, just standing up and sitting down. Can you do that for me? Who's in? Yeah, thanks. I love our church. Okay, so here we go. First up, are you... Oh, I've got a very nice new flicker that I'm allowed to use today. Woo! Are you sweet or savoury? Stand up for sweet. Yeah, lovely. And who's sweet enough already? The savoury people, please. Yeah, loving it. I fall into the savoury category. I'm with you. Okay, let's keep moving. Are you coffee or tea? Oh, hard decision. If you have to pick one, I know sometimes a cup of tea in the morning and a cup of coffee after a meal, I hear you. But generally, are you coffee? Okay, all the coffee drinkers there. Alistair's got two hands up at the back. Uh, and those who are more tea drinkers, a nice British cup of tea. Oh, yes, you, you guys, there's more of you today, aren't there? Brilliant. Okay. So far, it's been fairly tame, but I'm going to ramp it up a notch because this could cause a serious stir. Okay. There's already discussion breaking out and people have very, very strong feelings on this, I know, because I've talked to many of you about it. Okay, cat people, standing please. Oh, no booing. No booing in the house of God, thanks. Can we have the dog pit dog lovers? <laughs> and I probably should have put a category in for both because some people have got both cats and dogs. Who's that? Stay standing if that's you. Okay, lovely. I know there's some of you. I cannot believe we actually had jeering. <laughs> All right. I'm not mean enough to make you stand for this. No, it's all right. I don't want to see. But today, I want to talk to us about lines and circles. I want to talk about lines and circles. You see, I think that in general, based on my little straw poll this morning, you didn't know that I was analyzing you, analyzing your data as you were standing and sitting, that it's so easy, isn't it, for our preferences to lead us to a position of drawing a line in or out. And it's, it's, isn't it interesting that even in the moment where a fewer number of cat lovers stood up, it evoked such a strong sense of excitement and, dare I say it, smugness in the dog lovers in the room. I don't want to put my judgments onto you. And 
I grew up with a dog, so I hear you. But isn't it funny how straight away we're looking for the person that identifies with us, the person who thinks like us, the person that has the same preference as us. And that's why I don't want to go there with Brexit, because if you look at our nation, like never before, we are seeing a culture around us that wants to draw a battle line, wants to draw a barrier line, wants to polarize us into one camp or another camp with no middle ground. And today, I want to look at our beautiful Jesus. And I am going to be unpacking the scripture that's on your screen, but I'm also going to take a whistle-stop tour at a load of other examples in the gospel as to how Jesus is less interested in drawing a line and more interested in drawing a circle. So, are you with me? I just need the iPad to be keeping up with me here, if that's okay. Um, I can't do it and do this flicker thing as well. Sorry, just having a little discussion about my technology. But I do need to be able to, I need to be able to follow that there, if possible. Brilliant. So turn with me, if you would, to John 8, verses 1 to 11. Now, for all of you who are the academic studying theologian types, I am well aware that this particular passage was not in the early manuscripts. In fact, there have been all sorts of debates by scholars about whether it should be included in our Bible or not. But I want to say that despite the fact it wasn't included in early manuscripts, I'm actually really glad it is in, in my Bible uh, because I think that it represents something beautiful beautiful of the heart of God. And um, the great thing is that I'm not only going to focus on this passage. There will be many other examples of what I want to share today. So turn with me if you would. John 8, 1 to 11. It's the story of the woman caught in adultery. So we're beginning at verse 1. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. It's a powerful passage, isn't it? So powerful. Because there's this moment where the Pharisees bring this woman out in the temple courts where Jesus 
has crowds gathered around him. So I just want you to imagine that. It's not just Jesus and a few other people. There are crowds listening to Jesus. And here come the Pharisees. And the line is drawn so clearly as they stand her before the crowd. A woman standing in a position of shame, surrounded by all those listening to Jesus and the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. The line is drawn. Verse 3 leaps out to me as we see that depiction of the line so very, very clearly. She's facing her adversary. She's facing her accusers. She's facing potential death. She's facing condemnation. She's facing judgment. And then there's this beautiful moment. As the Pharisees are waiting to see what Jesus will do, they're just waiting. What do you say? What's your response to this, Jesus? How are you going to answer this? The line is drawn. And what does Jesus do? I love it. Because all of a sudden, Jesus draws this incredible circle with his words. In the moment that he says, let whoever's without sin throw the first stone, he's basically saying, sin is a human problem. Sin is a universal problem. There are no lines here because actually you are no different from her. You are no different from her. And people say there's a lot of speculation about what he might be writing on the ground. And there's, there's evidence to indicate that perhaps he was actually writing some of the sins that he was aware of in some of those people's lives. I don't know if that's true or not. I wasn't there. Either way, whether he was or whether he wasn't, he drew this incredible circle. And a woman who is facing condemnation and a woman who is facing shame, and a woman who is facing possibly being stoned to death, suddenly is in the same circle as those who are accusing her. Suddenly is embraced. Suddenly is accepted. Suddenly is seen. You see, here's the thing about lines. Lines divide. Lines keep people in, but they also keep people out. Lines separate. Think about barriers. Think about borders. Think about battle lines. Think about enemy lines. Lines create sides. It's me or you. It's us or them. It's sacred or secular. It's righteous or unrighteous. You're in or you're out. But I don't think Jesus sees in lines. I think Jesus sees in circles. What do circles do? Circles join. Circles unify. Circles include. Think about love. A ring, which is circular, is a symbol of unending love because there is no start and there is no finish. And in fact, people often liken the Trinity, i.e. the person of God, the Godhead, to a circle, seamlessly joined together in beautiful love and unity. A circle is a sign of embrace. A circle is a sign of welcome. 
Circles create unity, space, and belonging. And in that moment, Jesus was emphasizing shared humanity, shared experience, shared love, shared grace, a shared creator, and shared value. To put it at its most simple form, lines judge and circles embrace. So I want to take a look at some more lines in the Bible and help us to think. But before I do, I want to throw out a question. Has anyone ever drawn a circle for you when you've been stuck in a line situation? I can think of a recent one for me, and it's only a small thing, but it really, really helped massively. I was invited to um, a consultation in Amsterdam, and I said yes in faith a long time ago. Um, I wasn't, or maybe I was just expecting Aria, uh, Seren, sorry, at the time when I said yes, but didn't know how it was all going to fit together. And a few weeks beforehand, my childcare fell through. And, oh, you know that feeling when you know you're going to have to make a difficult phone call and you really don't want to have to do it. Do you know that? Oh, and I'm thinking, gosh, you know, we're so far with the planning now and I don't know how I'm going to make this work and how am I going to tell this wonderful, capable, amazing leader who heads up this stuff that I... I don't think I'm going to be able to come because of the children. And, you know, all of this is going through my head. At 3 a.m., I am thinking about it, and it's on my mind. And, you know, I didn't know at the time, but once I'd made the call, I understood that the overriding feeling in my heart was shame. I felt ashamed. You're a leader. You should be on top of this. You should have had a backup plan. There's something you could have done about this. And I was feeling guilt Guilt for my children because they should come first and guilt for not being able to do the thing that I'd committed to doing. I felt awful. In my mind's eye, there was this line between me and what God wanted me to do and I just couldn't find a way to bridge the gap. So eventually I pluck up the courage to make this call and I'm still, I'm feeling that shame. And I speak to this lady, beautiful lady, and I I explain my situation and I say, look, I just totally understand if you want to find somebody else. I know it's really late notice and I could work really hard to help you find somebody else or I'm going to have to bring the girls. And you know what she did? She said, Nikki, this is exactly the reason for this consultation. The thing that stops women having a seat at the table when it comes to leadership is precisely stuff like this. Childcare issues, the the demands of both of those roles. And I know it's true for some dads too, so I'm I'm not saying it's not difficult for any parent, okay? That's not what I'm saying. But she said, I don't want you to be precluded from being involved in this because of that. So, of course, your girls are welcome. And in that moment, I just felt that where there'd been this line, she drew this beautiful, inclusive circle. Of course, I didn't know what the reality would look like. And you know, you guys know the end of the story that God actually made a really cool solution to enable the girls to be happy and for me to be able to do what I needed to do whilst I was there. But honestly, the relief, the feeling of love and value that she gave me in that moment and the value that she gave to the things that mattered most to me was so beautiful. It was so beautiful. So when has someone drawn a line for you? Can you think? Sorry, a circle for you. 
Let's take a look at Mark 2, verses 13 to 17. You probably don't have time to turn with me, and it won't be on the screen, but I'm just going to paraphrase. It's where Jesus has called Levi, a tax collector, to be his disciple. We know that tax collectors were despised. Tax collectors were shunned and marginalized and ostracized. And that very night, Levi invites Jesus and his disciples to be dinner guests, along with his fellow tax collectors. And I love this. I love the way the Bible puts this. And many other notorious sinners. <laughs> many other notorious sinners. It's like it just tells you so much, doesn't it? About anyway, it tells you a lot. Um, and then in brackets, it even goes on to say there were many people of this kind. Um, among the crowds that followed Jesus. And I love that because that tells us a lot too, that there were many people of that kind, the notorious sinner kind, who were following Jesus. Yes to that. But of course, the Pharisees have something to say and they see Jesus and his disciples sitting with these notorious sinners, with tax collectors, with people who are immoral, with people who are absolutely 100% off limits. And from their beautiful righteous perspective, they say, why does he eat with such scum? Indignation, condemnation, accusation, judgment, the line is drawn. When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. And then I love this because he draws this circle and he says, hang on, it's bigger than you. I've come to call sinners, not those who think they're good enough. This beautiful circle of inclusion that says, do you know what? This is the exact reason I'm here. This is exactly where I'm supposed to be in the midst of notorious sinners, because those are the people that I have come for. Those are the people who need to know my love. Those are the people who need to know my acceptance. You know, we're so good at drawing lines, aren't we? And in this moment, the Pharisees are drawing a line of superiority. And if I'm honest, I think it's one that I'm guilty of too at times. And I would put forward that perhaps we all are. You see, we forget, don't we, that we're all sinners, that we're all flawed and we all make mistakes. And so it's really easy for us to get het up about the sin that we see in our world, so much so that we forget that we perpetuate it too. The thing is, the only difference is that we feel that ours is more respectable than theirs. Come on, I'm telling you the truth. That's what we feel. We feel like my brand of sin is okay because I can coexist with mine and it's not as bad as that brand of sin. And in this moment, Jesus draws this beautiful circle which basically says there's no one off limits. Church, I want to ask you this morning, who's off limits? Where's our current line drawn? Who have we ruled out? Because no one is off limits to God. It's time for us to erase the lines of superiority and to draw a circle around those that you may regard as unclean or morally inferior, to extend our borders, to include those people. Next up, lines of hierarchy. Mark 9, verses 33 to 37. 
the disciples are having an argument, so the battle lines are drawn. Here we go. There's our line right there. You know what they're arguing about? Who is the greatest? No, we'd never do that, would we? Never. And Jesus says, what were you discussing out on the road? I love it. I love the way Jesus does that. He cracks me up as if he doesn't know. He's like, oh, what were you guys chatting about? And they don't tell him. And the reason that they don't tell him is because they're embarrassed because that's what they've been arguing about, about which one of them is the most significant, which one of them is the most important, which one of them has the most value in the eyes of Jesus. Whoa! I could have called this lines of self-centeredness, I guess. Because we may not spend a load of time arguing about who's the most important, but the truth is that we have a very, very different value system to Jesus. We create a hierarchy of what we think is valuable. And most often, really sadly, it starts with this platform here. Somehow we think that this platform makes somebody more valuable, somebody more important, somebody more significant, and it couldn't be further from the truth. This is not a pedestal. Celebrity status is not a pedestal. We're equal in the eyes of our dad in heaven. Jesus loves everybody equally. So as the battle, battle line is drawn, our beautiful Jesus draws yet another circle. And he says to them this, anyone who wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. So in this battle of me, my significance, Jesus says, it's not about you. It's not about you. I came for everyone. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God loves everyone on the face of this planet. And so often we're consumed with me and mine, aren't we? My ministry, my desires, my dreams, my hopes, my passions, my disappointments, my discouragement, my... And I get that. That's human nature. We all do it. But I want to put it to you that in every moment, we are consumed with ourselves and our own value and our own significance. We are missing the fact that there is somebody right next to us, our neighbor, the person that we've just walked past at the checkout, a child dying of starvation on the other side of the world who has just as much value as we do. It's not about you, is Jesus' message to us. He's the only one that can really get away with saying it to us, to be honest, isn't he? God loves everyone equally. And if today you feel that you lack value in your heavenly dad's eyes, I want to tell you this, you are loved just the way you are. Perhaps you're stuck in a rut in your faith today. Perhaps you've just become consumed with your own stuff. You haven't been able to see past whatever the goalposts may be. My advice would be if that's you and you feel like your walk is a bit stale, start serving others. Start serving others. In fact, start serving anyone or everyone else that you can find. Look beyond yourself. Look beyond your own internal things and see where you can add value to someone else's life, to someone else's world. I promise you, it will change your life. I had a beautiful moment in the supermarket this week where, oh, Aria had gone to ballet and 
I was particularly under pressure that day, but the week before, I had forgotten to pack her teddy bear. And at the end of ballet, they all do a rockabye thing with their teddy bears, and she had to use the ballet teacher's teddy. And for whatever reason, that was not acceptable to my daughter. She was absolutely mortified. So she had reminded me. Guess what happened? We get to ballet, I'm all of a fluster. I've managed to find all her ballet clothes and the two different pairs of shoes and I'm feeling quite pleased with myself. And then the moment comes and it's too late because we're already there where, where she says, she looks at the teacher's teddy and she goes, oh, mummy, you did bring my teddy, didn't you? Oh no, I hang my head. And I'm trying to tell her that it's, it's fine. She could just use this one for one more week. But the tears come. The meltdown comes. She is absolutely inconsolable. I'm thinking, I actually don't know what to do at this moment. So like, don't worry, darling. I'm just pop over because I was, I was near Morrison's. I'm just going to pop over to Morrison's. I'm sure they'll have something. I'll buy you a new one. Anyway. I had, I had run into a beautiful lady from our church family. And she could see that I was looking a little bit stressed. So I told her the story and what I was doing. And I'd picked up this absolutely revolting looking, very large eyed rainbow teddy, which I know that Aria would love. What is it with those ones with the really big eyes? They are strange looking, but they all love them, don't they? Anyway, so I've got this, I've got this teddy. And uh, you know what she does, this lady? She just leans over and grabs my hand and says, I need to do something about that. She takes a note out of her wallet and she says, I'd like to buy that. Oh, I could have cried on the spot. I was feeling so much condemnation uh, just for, you know, not having my stuff together. And in that beautiful moment, it, she drew a circle for me. The most amazing, beautiful circle. I was so grateful and thank you, Jesus, for that. It's not about us, is it? There's always something that we can do to serve somebody else. Lines of exclusion. Let's take a look at those. Mark 10, 13 to 16. Oh, it's the moment, isn't it, that we all talk about in Sunday school or at dedication services. It's the moment where the disciples tell parents who want Jesus to touch and bless their children not to bother him. We know it well. They draw this line of priority to keep kids away, to exclude them from Jesus. Why? Well, looking back to the cultural context, it's because children were considered to be the least. They had pretty much no social status whatsoever. And so in the disciples' mind's eye, they're doing Jesus a favor. They're basically saying, he, can't, he hasn't got time for that. He can't even deal with all the like, cues of sick adults who are coming for him. He hasn't got time to bless some children. And there's probably nothing much wrong with them anyway. And Jesus gets mad. He gets angry. There's this line of priority that was never his. They've missed the point. They think he's too busy to stop and take time. But I think Jesus is even more mad because they're trying to prevent people from accessing him. And we see through scripture time and time again, Jesus does not like it when we put stuff in the way of people coming to him, where we put obstacles and barriers and we exclude others from his presence. His response, let them come to me. Don't stop them. And then he goes one step further and I love it. The kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. It's not just they're all right. They can come and have a quick blessing. He's like, this is what it's about. 
This is what I'm here for. This belongs to them. They're not just welcome. This is theirs. Wow. Who do we exclude? Or who do I exclude? Where do I put obstacles in the way of others from accessing Jesus? Who do I assume Jesus wouldn't have time or interest to hang out with? It's that question, isn't it? Because although I know we know intellectually that no one is off limits, looking around this room, I can tell you that that is obviously not yet representative in our demographic. There are so many people just waiting to hear the good news, that they are included, that they belong, that they're accepted in this kingdom. Yes, but Nikki, come on, what about the scriptural baselines? Are you telling me that everything's permissible? You're telling me that everything's acceptable? No, I'm not telling you that. But I'm telling you that our position is not to judge. Our position is to love. And yes, I know you're going to quote to me the end of John 1 to 11, 8, 1 to 11, where Jesus says, go and sin no more. And absolutely he does. But let's just take a moment to consider that. Jesus was sinless. Jesus never sinned. He had absolute authority to say to that woman, go and sin no more. The last time I checked, I'm a sinner saved by grace. Okay? I believe in the word of God. I understand the truth of the word of God, and I will not change that perspective. But what I will say is this. If we don't show those who don't look like us, behave like us, conform like us, the love and the grace of Jesus, then we are just like those disciples, barring children from having access. Church, we've got to do something about this. There are multitudes in the Valley of Decision. They've got your name on it. They've got my name on Who are we going to reach out to? Wow, okay. Lines of segregation, I'm going, to t- I'm going to touch this really quickly. Touch on this really quickly. Okay, gosh, I've never seen this before in the same way. But there's a moment where Jesus has sent out his disciples and they're doing the stuff and they're seeing amazing things happen. And then they come back to him and they basically tell tales and they go, Jesus, we saw a man using your name to cast out demons, but we told him to stop because he isn't one of our group. Have you ever seen that before? I mean, I've read that before, but I've never actually read that before, and it just leapt out. He isn't one of our group. Wowzers. And I love Jesus' response again. Don't stop him. But hang on a minute. Has he been baptized? Has this happened? Has that happened? He hasn't been hanging out. He doesn't know your DNA, and he's casting out demons in your name. That can't be right, Lord. Surely not. He needs to go on a course. That's what we'd do, isn't it? Let's make it a year course, a year to change your life before you can do it. I love Empower, by the way. And I know that loads of people have been blessed by that. That was tongue in cheek for the sake of the recording. That was naughty. Sorry. Um, Yeah, we'd send them on a course, wouldn't we? He's not one of us, not one of our group. Anyone who's not against us is for us, Jesus said. Wow, a beautiful line. You see, they've drawn this line of segregation. This is our group. This is our cozy huddle. We're comfortable here. This guy has no right to do what he's doing in the name of Jesus. He doesn't even really know Jesus. So why is he doing that? Are we guilty of doing the same? Who do we chat to after the service over coffee? Do we chat to our group? Do we chat to those that we're familiar with? Do we chat to those that we're comfortable with? 
We're passionate in this church about not creating those dividing lines of segregation. There's a reason that we are passionate about our life groups and our platform representation and how we socialize with one another, not just after church, but at other things that take place. Not being full of people who just look like us, think like us, talk like us, are in the same stage of life as us. We do that on purpose because it is representative of the heart of God. You see, lines actually form a box and we feel really safe and comfortable in a box and I understand that. And we might feel like, well, I can relate to these people. So that's okay. I, at the moment, I just can't push myself that one step further. But Jesus draws this enormous circle and says, no, no. I don't think there should be groups in that way. Who's in? Who's out in your world? Who's in your in crowd and who's not? Could you cross over the line and draw a circle for someone else today? Could you invite someone around for dinner or back for a barbecue or grab them a coffee and say, do you know what? I've never chatted to you before, but I'd love to do that. Lines of secular and sacred, very simply, Jesus says, go into all the world, preach the good news to everyone, everywhere. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. If you are doing a day job that is not involved with the church, it is no less significant or important than what you do when you serve in church on a Sunday or through the week. Can I just tell you that categorically, God does not see the lines of sacred and secular in the way that we do. He made the entire world. Yes, we should be different. Yes, we should be carriers of his presence. Yes, we should be salt and light. But if you don't go and do that day job to the glory of God, how will people know that they're invited to the party? How will they know? You're there for a reason. He's placed you there for a reason. Do it with excellence. Do it with all your heart. You are valued and you are valued. And we thank you that you are going and doing that stuff. We're here to equip you for that as best we can. Lines of status. Oh, the Beatitudes in Luke 6. Jesus' manifesto when he turns everything on his head and he tells us who he's blessing. He blesses the poor, blesses the hungry, blesses those who suffer and mourn. He blesses those who are excluded and rejected and persecuted. Gosh, there's a world outside our window, church. I feel this burning passion that there's more that we could be doing to love those people who are poor and marginalized and hungry. It's exciting to see some of the things that we've done already, but watch this space because I feel like there's more to come. Lines of prejudice. The ultimate circle that Jesus draws is when he asks us to love our enemies. The battle lines that we draw between people, and I think Brexit is actually a really good example of this because what started as a simple vote has now become this polarization. And it's become really ugly, hasn't it? There are two very distinct camps and there is an awful lot of hatred and animosity between the two. And I know that even in this room, there will be people with very varying views. And guess what? That is a great circle. That is a great representation of the kingdom, that we can disagree and yet still sit together, worship together, talk together, and understand one another. Wow. Jesus 
asks us to love our enemies, to pray for them, to do good to those who hate us. It's radical. It's the most radical circle of love and compassion. So as I close today, I just want to throw this out. Are we going to be line drawers? Or are we going to be circle makers? Who could we invite to come and join, to come and belong? I don't mean necessarily within the four walls of the church. I mean to be part of the kingdom story that God is writing, which is so much bigger than one church or one denomination. Did you know there are 38,000 denominations across the world? That is a testament to line drawing. That's what happens when you draw lines. Because the moment you disagree, you draw another one and you keep someone else out until there's no one else that can fit. That's why the world aren't interested in church. 38,000 denominations. That's a lot of lines. But there are no lines in the kingdom. There's just one enormous circle that says everybody is welcome. Let's stand. Jesus, I thank you that you just modeled to us the most beautiful examples of widening our net, widening our love, widening our perspective, and widening our grace. And I pray, Lord, for us in this church that even though some of that maybe was tough to hear, that we would be known as a church that stands with people and for people, that offers a place to belong and a place to be accepted, that we will be known as a church that welcomes and embraces because that's who you are and what you do. I also pray, God, that we would be a church who disciple people well. Lord, we don't want to shy away from that, that we are able to lead people to you I thank you, God, that you love this world. That you're passionate about seeing every single person come into connection with you. And I pray, Lord, that where our hearts have become hard or where we have considered ourselves to be superior, that you would forgive us, that you would forgive me. I can see myself in so much of this at times. And I'm sorry, God. I pray, Lord, that you would give us opportunities this week where others draw a line to be those who change the game and draw a circle. In Jesus' name, amen.